Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that in the 19th century, you could be rejected from the army for having bad breath. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which what, is... what, why? Why? Let's... Well... Yeah, why? <laughs> The justification is really no more complicated than you think, which is that it's fucking gross for everyone else. Right. <laughs> I can imagine, you, like, if you're in a submarine or something. But what if you have to give another soldier the kiss of life? But you accidentally uh, yeah. send them into the arms of death. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't think the kiss of life had been invented yet, even. Oh, this okay. is from a book written wow, in 1840, really? which um, I don't know why I was reading it, but it's called Hints on the Medical Examination of Recruits for the Army. And there's some great stuff in there. Um, and the thing I was some recruits are so offensive in their breath as to be intolerable to oh. their messmates and from these causes are discharged from the French service and ought to be from every other. Wow. So, so this book is really good. It's great fun. So I highly recommend it because it's talking about how you, you know, examine people for the army and there are lots of reasons for rejecting people. Unsound health, fair enough. Scrofula, loss of teeth, flat feet. You had to be inspected sober and naked by the recruiting doctor. How are they going to get you naked if you're sober? <laughs> great point. <laughs> Um, they also uh, large testicles. You're out. You're not allowed in the oh, army. Oh really? Yeah, what? Testicles are too big. Any Why? remarkable too big a shot? Like if they're aiming for you. <laughs> Why was the reason for two big balls? Any like, remarkable enlargement or induration of the testicle is a cause of rejection. I bet, I, that, I bet so many people claim that was why they got rejected. Yeah. Everyone's, well, everyone's leaning away from their breath. Actually, it was the testicle that meant I didn't get it. Just like to clarify. I think they're talking about sort of hydrocele's or conditions where you have yeah, a, where they really yeah, do get yeah. very big indeed. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. also you you get um, turned away for having a narrow chest or for relaxed abdominal rings, which I think oh. might just mean you diarrhea. I don't know. Really? For no me, idea. that was like having like a belly, like a, what do you call them, like a love handles kind of thing. Oh, oh that right. makes a lot of sense. That makes yeah. more sense. Imagine that inspection if it's up the anus. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, mate. Your abdominal rings are <laughs> not tense enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Crikey! I've never said that before. <laughs> I just want to be clear. <laughs> that would, if anything, that would make me more tense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was also... So when it was talking about how to... Because you could get turned away for being a habitual drunk. And so the book gives information on how to spot a habitual drunk and it says you can sense it on their breath so that's another reason why bad breath you might get rejected for it because if you can smell old alcohol on their breath and also look out for grog blossoms um do you know what they are 
I think, are there like spots on your nose or something? Sort of a, flush. Really close. Like a, a, a general, that ruddy flush that you get. If Basically, you... it's birth blood vessels, yeah. yeah. You're, you're skirting around it, yeah. Isn't that because, you know, if you're an alcoholic, you've got birth blood vessels all over your face. Yeah. But I like grog blossoms. Yeah, wow. it's cool. There was a guy, um, it was in the news quite recently that um, too many people were getting uh, turned away from the British Army and it was like, oh, this is the end of the world, this is going to happen. There was a guy in Leeds called Jack, 17, we don't know his surname, <laughs> And he said that he didn't get in because he had acne. He oh. said there was two things. He had acne and cold hands and feet on the day of the test. Yeah. And he said, well, I've had acne before and it literally just clears up within a day or so. And also it's snowing outside. Right. But they were having none of it and they wouldn't let him in. Yeah, That's but it, it hasn't put him off. He's going to reapply when his acne goes. <laughs> and in the summer, maybe? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But why? The enemy's not going to shoot at you more if you've got acne. <laughs> well, this, this was a weird thing. This was, they found that there were so many medical conditions that they were turning away that as a result, they were really understaffed for new recruits for the army. So they had a target of 82,000 people and they fell short 5,000 because people would be turned away for acne. They were being turned away because, you know, someone had a nut allergy, which, you know, apparently that's important. Yeah, if you're going to go and seize that nut factory from the enemy, then that's a problem, isn't it? Well, I guess it makes it easier, yeah, if you're allergic to nuts. You know, if Bond was allergic to nuts, it's way easier to kill him, right? Do you think what you would do is tie him down on a table and just throw peanuts closer and closer to him? <laughs> yes. So they land yeah. him in his mouth. Yes. Unless, of course, it's an airborne nut allergy, in which case you just need to leave a packet of peanuts slowly being opened by a machine. <laughs> and that's the thing. Then he's got to get yeah. out before the packet of nuts. I will watch all of these, all of these scenarios happen. In the fairness to that guy, he said, and the reason that this guy in the news is because nut allergies can be very, really, really, really yeah. dangerous, yeah. but he had a nut allergy that he didn't need an EpiPen for and hadn't had any reaction for over 10 years. Yeah. So that was the thing about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. There was, I'm sure, I'm sure, you guys may well have come across this in your research. In 2020, there was a potential recruit who was rejected from the army for having a tattoo. And the problem is that once you apply to the army, if you say you have tattoos, they ask you to send in photos of the tattoos. And he had a six-inch tattoo of a penis on him, <laughs> and they said, that's no good, we're not allowed How that. realistic was this tattoo? It was, it was extremely realistic. Could he not have just said, this is my actual penis? Yeah. <laughs> it was in the uncanny valley between looking too much like a penis to be comfortable with, but yeah. not so much like a penis that right. you think, oh, that's that you just... feel nice and comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Was he turned away? He was turned away. He was turned turned away. away. He was told, thank you for your interest, but we can't take you into the army. Sorry, the rules are very strict on any tattoos which have kind of, you know, sexual meanings or offensive meanings or potentially offensive meanings. Where was it? It was, well, that's the thing, which I think is slightly unfair. It was on his inner thigh. So it wasn't in the wrong place. It wasn't. Was it to remind him where to leave it? Yeah. Like a parking spot. It was a very roomy parking spot. It really was. It was it's quite like it's. Why it's, would you do a big one? You've got the comparison right there. Do a right. tiny, tiny yeah. penis. Well, it's because because you can see right. it's cold. Here's what it usually looks like. Yeah. It's a perfect alibi. Oh, I yeah. the ink stain on my leg again from my penis earlier in the day in the hot room. <laughs> Do you know, it's not even once, like, trying to get into being rejected from the army before you get into it. They, there's a story I read which is of someone who was in the army who they were desperately trying to get out through loopholes, and this was Timothy Leary, 
who was oh, the you know really? uh, LSD. He yeah, was one yeah. of the big gurus. He was a counterculture character in America, okay. and he was he was part of the armed forces in America. And he kind of did a lot of pranks, and he exposed <laughs> some of the generals to weird things that embarrassed them. So they desperately tried to get him out. So he was shaving once, and he cut himself. And they tried to get him out on the grounds that he had damaged military property. And was he the property himself? Yes, because wow. when, you, when, you're, when you're a part, and this Amazing. was back in the 50s and That's 60s, so when you sign up to the military, you sign your body over. You are the military. So that was damage to their property. What, when what he cut if you himself. cut your nails? If you, well, this, they were trying to get him out, so they were loopholing it. You know, I know, but it, it sounds like, did it work? He stayed in. He managed, to, yeah. he managed to stay in, but they desperately tried all these things. Another group of people who wanted people to leave the army or leave the British army was the Nazis. Uh, and so they decided that they would drop a load of leaflets on the Allied forces to give them tricks of how to get kicked out of the army. Mm. And the thing said, oh, you've done a really good job, but now's the time to, you know, give up because you're going to lose anyway. So this is the best way to get out of the army. So they had these little pamphlets. One of them advised men to fake heart disease uh, by smoking 20 to 30 cigarettes per day. And it said, if you normally smoke that much already, why not double the number? (laughs) Um, There was was an interview in Vice Arabia, which interviewed people who'd successfully exempted themselves from the army uh, and found ways of doing it. And one guy said he just spent months and months completely gorging constantly. So every meal he'd eat, burgers, pizzas, pastries, he said, I added mayonnaise to everything I ate and then I would have mayonnaise as its own snack between meals. He gained five stone in six months. That's wow. amazing. <laughs> Mayonnaise is a snack. Yeah, what delicious, I know. Can't believe um, he wasn't doing it already. We're going to have to move on very soon to our next fact. Oh. It's gone so quick. Do you, um, just quickly on bad breath and oh, halitosis, yeah. Yeah. the phrase, often a bridesmaid, never a bride, mm. Oh yeah. that comes from Listerine, and it was to do with bad breath. Oh, really? Yeah, so this was, these were adverts in America where um, they, would have, they would have wording like, Edna's case was a really pathetic one. <laughs> <laughs> like... Every woman, her primary ambition was to marry. Most of the girls of her set were married, or about to be, yet no one possessed more grace or charm or loveliness than she. As her birthdays crept towards the tragic 30 mark, (laughs) marriage seemed farther from her life than ever. She was often a bridesmaid, but never a bride. And that's, that popularised that phrase, and that's why we use it. As their a, adverts are unbelievable examples in basically negging your audience. So <laughs> they're all things like, he never knew why, and it shows someone being socially shunned, or they say it behind your back, or <laughs> my favourite one, are you unpopular with your own children? <laughs> <laughs> we, I know you think it's because your balls are too big, but I promise you, you've got halitosis. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that in 1888, there was a squatting competition in India. Despite being up against the country's best wrestlers, the winner was a 10-year-old boy who managed several thousand squats, but was then bedridden for a week. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. So this is the exercise, the squats, basically. Uh, And this is a young boy who later became a wrestler. He was known as the Great Gama, and he's one of the most famous wrestlers from Indian history. In the time, there was loads of Maharajas and stuff like that. And there was this guy called the Maharaja of Jodhpur. And he decided that he wanted to find the greatest squatter in the whole of the land. <laughs> and they got all these wrestlers in to see who could do it best. And this guy who was, his original name was Ghulam Muhammad Baksh Butt. 
he was coming from a really kind of a wrestling dynasty and his father had died quite young and they decided that this young boy was going to be the greatest wrestler in the whole world mm. uh, and we're going to do it even at the age of 10 he's going to do loads and loads of squats loads of push-ups everything and at the age of 10 he managed to beat all of these wrestlers in the whole country yeah, to be so fair good. you've got less distance to cover if you're 10 and squatting i, I would that... say that every squat should count for half a squat <laughs> oh wow okay that would be the rule that I imposed right it's much easier to go up and I down suppose, right, really. you haven't been through puberty so you've got less muscle mass so but it's I harder. think Hannah's a bit right because you know like on Britain's Gone Talent when they like the kids win but they're actually a bit shit compared to the adults <laughs> mm. to be fair to him like yes he was a kid uh, so maybe he had an advantage but this guy he didn't have an advantage I didn't mean that seriously I'm not slamming him just in case someone's alive who's descended from Gama and they are um, right. he didn't have an advantage okay cool yeah. Don't, yeah, don't track Anna down and squat on her um, but wow. how do you feel about the tightness of these rings <laughs> <laughs> but he was this guy went on to be one of the greatest wrestling champions of all time yeah. like that was like watching when you watch a Superman movie and Superman yeah. discovers he became the, effectively Kent. became world champion yeah, like, yeah. World champion. everyone called him the world champion they didn't have like proper championships in those days but they called him the world champion yeah um, well, by the time he was an adult we got a picture of him here um, he had 30 inch thighs and 56 inch chest you know just to put that into context there was a guy called Roberto Carlos who some of you might know a soccer player who had famously massive thighs and his were 24 inches compared to 30 inch for Gama wow. uh, and his inch was 56 inches and Arnold Schwarzenegger's chest was 42 inches wow so that's how big wow. this guy was yeah, yeah. gosh his, his, his diet the training sounds incredible his daily diet included six pounds of butter 10 liters of milk Half a liter of ghee, which is basically sort of clarified butter, isn't it? It's, uh, a few snacks of mayonnaise. Yes, <laughs> and one sachet of Hellman's mayonnaise every day. But he did, he did three thousand press ups a day and, and had forty wrestling belts against other people in and, the and five thousand you know. squats a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean a squat like it is. I I didn't think it was essential to making a world champion, but I tried some today just to feel what sure. it's like. Oh, it's, it's hard to squat. Yes. Like yeah. after the first, like three, it's really. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It well, hurts. thank you, Joe Wicks. <laughs> we don't know exactly how many he did, actually. We have his word for it that he did 5,000. Right. We know it was very, very high, but we don't know exactly how much it was. And that's because no one ever saw him start a routine and then the routine because no one stayed in the gym for as long oh. as he did. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. Yeah. Very boring spectator sport watching someone squat, yeah. to be fair. I did think that with the, with the squats, that if you were doing a competition, Competition and watching how many squats are going on. How do you monitor each individual? Like, do you have like a little bell at the bottom? There should be an angle you have to hit, shouldn't there? Yeah, because it was basically yeah. time. It was. Oh, so it was just continuous oh, yeah. squats. And they it. asked him how many did. They they're pretty certain it was over two thousand. He said I'd done he'd done thousands, but had lost count. But they they mm. knew that it was over two thousand. And the modern record of consecutive squats is about three thousand two hundred. So it's okay. not a completely out of the question number. It's kind of a reasonable number. Mm. Yeah, but have you ever asked a ten year old? Oh, how many? You know, how many times did you just run around the garden? Oh, a million. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll write that down in the history books. <laughs> Anna really got it in for the child stars and child athletes today. 
<laughs> never trust a word. Um, I also don't trust a word of his diet. I find it so interesting the legends that build up around these people because, yeah. uh, like, the details of his diet are—it's just implausible. You'd have a heart attack. He was consuming like fifty thousand calories a day, as far as the legend is concerned. Yeah, which you wouldn't—you wouldn't have time to do anything else. But I'm not agree. calling him a liar. I'm calling his press team liars. That's what I, I kind of agree with you. I think this whole period of entertainment from magicians through to these strongmen act and stuff like that, th- it's a period where there is no truth, I feel. It's, all right. It's all... Well, if you guys don't find that plausible, you are going to love this next one. <laughs> this, is, this is a more recent report, actually. This is a report from The Telegraph a few years ago. I think it was in 2011. Um, this is about someone who could do one-finger push-ups, okay? So it's an athlete called Qi Guizhong, uh, from China, who holds, and I'm quoting directly here, holds the record for the most one-finger push-ups in 30 seconds. Okay. He did 41 one-finger push-ups in 30 Ooh. seconds. Set that in December 2011. I'm still quoting. The power of Guizhong's finger is so strong, he is said to be able to kill a man just by pointing at them. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> What newspaper was that in? That was in the Telegraph. Of all places. I just love the idea of him, you know, he's trying to pick teams in football. You. Oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you know, birds do press-ups before they fly. Baby birds. Really? How sweet is this? That's amazing. Because they... that to get their muscles better. To... Is it really? Exactly. Interesting. They, yeah, they have this puppy fat when they're young. And before they fly, they have to have enough strength. Obviously, you can't just try flying, if you're, especially if you're leaving a high nest. And swifts have been observed. They do these press-ups where they push and extend their wings and they rest on the wingtips for up to nine seconds. Wow. And that kind of, yeah. I mean, almost all animals don't do exercise. No, hasn't caught on. No, but that's because animals don't have to do exercise normally because muscle changes get triggered by not exercise in most animals. So like bears, it gets triggered by seasonal changes, the weather changes, and then it just releases muscle-forming compounds into their bloodstream and then they get fit. Really? It's incredible. Yeah, humans do not have this skill. Wow. But scientists try to... Just like if every, you know, every April just you walked into the office and everyone's buff as hell. Exactly. It's so good. It's so unfair that we don't have this. Morning, morning. Someone comes in still really skinny, forgot to hibernate. Can't believe it. Um, Baby birds do do that, but birds do that even before they're babies. They exercise in the egg. They exercise, if you can say. Come on, really? That's incredible. This is true. So these are baby birds who are parasitic birds. You know, like uh, cuckoos, for instance. They'll lay an egg in another bird's nest, and then their baby will come out. And often they'll attack the other birds. And they found some parasitic birds who will do exercises inside the eggs so that when they hatch, they're already hench as fuck so they can beat up all the other birds. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's so, that's so funny. Um, there's, uh, going back to Gama for a second, mm. there's a really cool thing where there's a museum that you can go to that has a giant rock that he once lifted and it's so heavy that they were like, that needs to go in a museum. So it's uh, 1,200 kilograms heavy. Well, he never lifted that. So, I mean, like, he might have been said to have lifted it, but no one's ever lifted more than 600 or 700 kilos. As far as, as we know. Pick Andy up on the old pointing fingers to death. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is pick okay, up Okay, Andy, that never happened either. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's about, that's, a, how, how, that's about as heavy as a bull, right? Or like a big bull or a quite small hippo. I think. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's but he's a bit um, like smaller in size, right? Like it's harder to pick up a yeah, hippo. Yeah, yeah. 
Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, unless, unless you go underneath it and sort of lift it up. It like fights a... back, though, which rocks don't. I think that's often why they use weights rather than hippos in these <laughs> contests. <laughs> Um, you know that uh, when you've done exercise and you have muscle and then you don't exercise for a while and you lose the muscle... Atrophies. Atrophies, yeah. That is an evolutionary aid. We're designed to do that. That's a good th- it's a good thing, really? really, yeah. This is because kilos of muscle are really expensive to maintain and you are about 40% muscle on average and so it's a lot of your energy. It's about a fifth of your basic energy budget just goes on keeping your muscles going. So actually, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an advantage that you don't keep the muscle when you stop exercising. It doesn't feel like it. It would be very nice if you just kept it forever. But it I'm, just, a- I'm having a real sort of flashback on your behalf to you being 14 at school and explaining this to the seven bullies <laughs> around you. Guys, you're all actually very inefficiently big. <laughs> Um, do you know Zumba? We were talking about exercise. Mm, yeah. uh, Zumba used to be called a rumba size. Um, can you think of where the word rumba size comes from? It's two is words a, together. Is there a dance called the rumba? The yeah. rumba, yeah. And exercise. exercise. Uh, no, no, no. It comes from a mixture of rumba and jazzercise. Oh. Of course. <laughs> I um, Jazzercise I find really interesting. So jazzercise was started by a woman called Judy Shepard Missett in 1969. And basically, she did it just as a warm-up to start off with, and everyone loved it. And soon it was all over the country in the US and then eventually all over the world. Absolutely huge. She decided she wanted to turn it into a thing, so she went to her bank and she said, you know, can you give me some money to Mm. kind of set up this jazzercise thing? And the bank looked at the numbers and they said, no, this is just a fad. It's a complete waste of time. And then she said seven years later, that bank went out of business. 50 years later, she was still working. Mm. Isn't that cool? Although I don't know what the hell jazzercise is so I don't know who these hordes of people are who are doing it. I would have thought it's incredibly difficult to exercise to jazz music if there's one genre of music <laughs> I'm not exercising to it's Miles Davis crooning away I'll be honest it's more just jazzy than jazz yeah, yeah. Okay. probably more trad jazz than like a 12 minute bassoon solo <laughs> <laughs> um, we're wow. going to have to move on in a sec to our next fact can I tell you my favourite um, squat terminology that I, that I sure, learned? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's Finnish uh, and it's slang used in Finland and it's squat wine. Squat, a squat wine. wine. Like yeah. as in the drink wine. Yeah, the drink wine. So squat wine is uh, yeah. wine that is so cheap that they keep it on the lowest shelves of a supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> you need a squat to get down to, to read the labels. That's so good. Okay, it is time for fact number three and that is Andy. My fact is, there was a breed of dogs in Victorian times which only existed in taxidermy form. <laughs> the perfect well, pet. The perfect pet. Very low so, maintenance. It's quite weird, that, isn't it? Because yeah. how do you stuff something that doesn't exist? Well, exactly. So these, <laughs> this is from uh, an exhibit at the Horniman Museum in South London, which is a great museum. They've got lots of stuff and lots of stuffing. They've got lots of stuffed things. And they have these, they've got these dogs, which they look like dogs, but they're not uh, sort of proper dogs. So their dog skin, basically, the Victorians <laughs> loved tiny dogs. <laughs> Guys, just tune out for a while. I'll, I'll come back. And... <laughs> what what okay. we know up here, because we've had to read about this, yeah. fact, is that Andy's trying to describe something quite gruesome. It's quite charming. They took stillborn puppies <laughs> and they, 
They did. They, they, they loved miniature dogs, and they loved incredibly tiny toy dogs, but there, there are dogs which don't exist in this smaller form in their actual life. So they would take puppies that had not been born alive, would arrange those into the shape and sort of situation of proper adult dogs, but looking tiny. They called them Roman dogs or dwarf dogs, and they were kind of fashionable things to have. So basically, it's, you know, an incredibly tiny Great Dane in a glass case. Yeah, stuffed. but the yeah. thing is that actually they kind of convinced people that they were real kind of Lilliputian, mm. you know, St. Bernard's or whatever, didn't they? They were like, it's normally a big dog. This is a real tiny one. Um, you can buy it for thousands of pounds. And people did buy it for thousands of pounds, not uh, knowing that they had this kind of trick. It's like the micro pig craze. Yes. yes. From yeah. About 10 years ago. Well, when people accidentally just bought normal pigs, pigs. that were piglets. Piglets, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it is, it is pretty gruesome, but it's... It's, um, it's amazing, though. Like, yeah. it's astonishing that they did it. And the mannequin that you... And they still do this today in taxidermy, which I didn't realise, which is you kind of, um, you take the skin of the animal. Mm. So it's not, I always thought the insides were probably still there of a taxidermy thing, uh, of an animal. But you, you thought actually... it's sort of like rotting organs. No, and I, thought, I thought it was like... Bones and the bones, you yeah. wire the bones. Okay. Like it was like pickled yeah. or something. Like, you know, it was just, yeah... Gross. I didn't. I, to be honest, I haven't really thought about what's inside <laughs> the dog in my living room. Um, but I don't. I don't have that. Um, but yeah. But it's it's basically you buy as if like you were passing a shop and you saw a mannequin out there and they've put the clothes on it. It's kind of like that. There's a mannequin shape of the animal and then yeah. you fit the animal over it, which is mm. bizarre, but that's how they do it. It's also satisfying, like putting a sock on or something. Yes, yeah. Using it over. Or trying to get a tent back into that bag, you know. Um. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of stretching over, but you're thinking of stuffing in. We've mm. got different taxidermy techniques. You're right. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> You'd both be fired from the taxidermy club. <laughs> Yeah. The, w- just quickly, the Victorians were really bad for dogs. We think of the Victorians as dog obsessed because they invented crufts and all this stuff. Actually, it was a disaster. They became obsessed with particular breeds because they invented dog shows. And this led to this huge genetic bottleneck where loads of dogs, which didn't happen to be fashionable in dog shows, died out. So there were all these breeds of dog that we don't have anymore oh, wow. because they weren't suitable for being shown in dog shows or just yeah. weren't trendy enough. So, really? Right. Yeah. But did, did crufts used to have a stuffed dog category. No, there was never... <laughs> what, you think they're just dragging it along on its ramps and stuff? <laughs> they smash through every single fence. It's a disaster. Where I think you'd just be like, stay! <laughs> <laughs> well, every dog has won that round. Um... <laughs> They did. The Victorians were really great taxidermists, weren't they? They were much more um, imaginative and creative than maybe you imagine taxidermy. And they love putting different animals in different human activities. So a bit like that um, picture of dogs playing poker or whatever. They, oh, yeah. they put squirrels particularly. They like to put doing things like boxing. So they dress them up in boxing gloves or they'd have croquet playing cats. They'd have like little rabbits all sitting in a schoolroom with little books they're writing in and, you know, spectacles and things like that. I mean, it's disgusting but also quite sweet at the same time (laughs) there's so many people that we know the names of for very different reasons who were all taxidermists or love taxidermy yeah so like uh, Captain Birdseye before he was a uh, a fish finger person (laughs) these taste disgusting (laughs) (laughs) he was a taxidermist so yeah one one day he just sort of noticed oh I've got all my fingers inside this fish and then he thought what if what if the fish was inside the finger? <laughs> Light bulb moment. Huge moment, yeah. In 2017, a woman from Dundee advertised her dog, Snoopy, on Facebook. 
who was dead, and she wrote, this is the offer. What do you mean, advertised? Well, she wrote this. Had our dog turned into a rug when he died? <laughs> Treasured family pet has to be sold as new dog keeps trying to hump it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Snoopy. That was Snoopy. Or did she get peanuts for it? <laughs> <laughs> she was looking for £100 on near offer. Yeah. Very cosy and unusual piece, she said. I don't know if it's sold. Mm, that's amazing. Oh. Should we just... The father of taxidermy is kind of this cool guy called uh, Carl Akeley. I think that's how you pronounce it. Who um, he? So he started out stuffing animals in museums, and this, he really changed it because back in those days, they literally the idea of taxidermy was just you'd stuff an animal as full as you possibly could, so it was really bloated, no idea of its shape, how it was supposed to look. Um, you literally he said you'd turn like if you had a deer, you'd turn it upside down, you'd hang it upside down, and you'd just drop stuff from above into its skin, and then you'd sew it up. And he came up with the idea of actually making animals look like they had in life. And he was amazing, though. So he went to Somaliland in 1896, and he was pounced by a leopard, and he killed this leopard by shoving his hand down its throat, Right, I think, wasn't it? Whoa. Shoving one hand down its throat and then one hand around its throat. It's Crikey. pretty... And I think the story is that it's sort of... He's, he heard something rustling in a bush, and he thought, oh, great, a tortoise or something, like, quite manageable. <laughs> and he just disappeared into the bush, and then his colleagues saw him wrestling with a leopard. <laughs> oh, my God. It was terrifying, yeah. He, he, um, he was responsible for a lot of conservation, so he... He shot gorillas and things, and then he started feeling really queasy about it. He thought, ah, this isn't right. This feels like murder, to be honest. Mm. And it's thanks to him that a big, uh, I think it's Virunga National Park, Virungas. Oh, really? Uh, that was our Africa's first national park, and it was, it was set up largely thanks to his efforts and his advocacy. So thanks to him, the mountain gorilla, which he had shot and felt awful, awful about shooting, it's largely thanks to him that it survived uh, oh, to wow. the extent it has. Yeah, so he, he really had a, a, a 180 turn on yeah, his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool. Um, I hate to move us on. James, do you want to do one more thing? Or? Uh, just that if you live in Anchorage, anyone listening, then and you go to the local library, uh, you can get books out, but you can also get stuffed animals out. They oh. have, apparently, this is not quite well known, even if you live in Anchorage, but you can go in and you can say, I'd like a stuffed rabbit, please, and you can take it out and then you can bring it back. And the most popular thing they do is owls. Can you guess why owls are the most popular thing they give out? Uh, is it the Harry Potter cosplay? <laughs> yeah, close enough. It's oh. kids' parties. Like so, whenever children in Anchorage have a party, if they have a Harry Potter theme party, they always oh. get the stuffed owl out. Ah, cool. So I, ca- I can't wait for this podcast to go out. The scenes at Anchorage Library the next morning. <laughs> Dozens of people queuing up. Where's my stuffed rabbit? Where's my stuffed mountain dog? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so excited. So yeah, apparently, I, right. I was reading Brian Blessed's autobiography, and he says that when he was a kid growing up, if you found a dead cat on the side of the road, you kept it sort of as a toy and you used it with your mate so you'd go around holding a, a dead cat no as your... you didn't that's what Brian are that's you calling what, Brian Blessed <laughs> an exaggerator <laughs> a liar <laughs> someone who's going to go around telling fibs <laughs> how dare you I actually sort of believe that he did that he, he's, he's an extraordinary oh, man well, but that's what he yeah, said yeah. and he said you would swing it around like how you'd see a posh person swinging a cane or Charlie Chaplin <laughs> you would swing it by the tail I'm, 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 this is, I'm just reporting the facts. Um, 
from Brian Blessed. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, he could somersault over walls as well, he says. <laughs> okay, Brian Brian Blessed. Blessed. Yeah. it's a really good biography. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we're going to have to move on soon, guys, to our next fact, final uh, fact. On stuffed, sort of, again, like lots of um, ancient stuffing techniques and, and stuffed animals, there were lots of railway stations in the UK had stationed dogs. Which would, huh. um, in life, they would collect money. Um, uh, so there, there were dozens of these dogs um, all over the place. And they would collect money uh, for particularly the widows and children of, of people who'd worked on the railways and, and died in accidents, things like that. So sort of widows and orphans, that kind of stuff. Uh, there were dozens called London Jack all over London. Um, and Slough has Station Jim still on the platform to this day. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, they would collect coins in their mouths originally and then just sort of, you know, gather the coins together. But then they had to have boxes tied to them, sort of a little holster. And the reason they had to do that was because Brighton Bob was found to be buying biscuits at a local bakery with the coins. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to our final fact of the show. Time for a final fact, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that in October 2021, the pop star Shakira attended the World Championships of keeping a balloon in the air for as long as possible. Um, There's a slight knowing laugh and applause happening here because the audience is aware of something that happened in the first half of our show tonight. But uh, this is a thing that has started a new annual championship that will no doubt rival some of the great championships around the world. Like a World Cup, an Olympics, exactly. and a keeping a balloon in the air. The three things that we'll know about the air. Yeah, that will be like the EGOT of the sporting <laughs> world. Um, so the reason Shakira was there is because her partner, Gerard Piquet, was part of of the organisers who set up this world ballooning event. Actually, Jared Piquet has won a World Cup, I'm pretty sure. So, like, if he could win this as well, he's only an Olympic title away from the... the yeah, Egypt. Of course. <laughs> God, he's won away. Well, that's, that's amazing. So, yeah, this was, this was set up, and it happened in Barcelona, and all teams came in, and basically, if you see pictures of it, it is effectively people going around an obstacle course uh, they're representing their countries and teams and they're trying to keep a balloon up in the air for as long as possible and the whole purpose is you slap the balloon away and if it hits the ground the team loses a point and then they have another chance of trying to keep it so you're just diving so over it's two countries in exactly, the room at sorry. the same time it's, it's, and you're hitting it so that they won't be able to get to it right exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, otherwise yeah. it would be seriously boring um, just on you know incredible achievements in the world of ballooning um, um, there is a ballooning Olympics, basically. Oh. It's called the World Balloon Convention. And so you get hundreds and hundreds of, of twisters, as they get known. Um, oh, is this for, like, making balloon shapes? Yeah, ah. and making incredible castles and incredible displays. And people will, people will turn up and twist, which is, you know, their cool phrase for it, um, for 27 hours in a row. Like, it's nuts. They do it so much. Um, and there are lots of people who are enormous celebrities in the balloon world. Um, one of them is a man called Larry Moss. And I didn't just Google Moss plus balloons for anyone listening. Um, he, has, he has been described as the best balloon artist in the world. He once built a haunted house entirely out of balloons. An entire haunted house. What, how does that look different to a house? Well, it's made of balloons. And so, <laughs> the haunted part. what's the haunted part? Well, it's shit scary inside you know it's all it's got sort of 
Yeah. <laughs> it's got skeletons made of balloons and, you know, like okay. zombies made of balloons and uh, And a, carousel, a fully functioning carousel, I think he had, like a, that you could ride around on made wow. of balloons. You saw it as well, Anna? Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, I know Moss, yeah. It looks frightening, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> he actually, the, I think the reason he did it was because his wife, Judy, was in a coma in 2003 and he promised her that if she woke up, he would build her a castle out of balloons. And she did. And so he had to. And they're now divorced. Really? Wow. No. (laughs) Beautiful fairy tale ending, you hope. That was a roller coaster, (laughs) (laughs) Anna. So this happens a lot then. We have lots of balloon championships, it sounds like. That's amazing. The twisters are great. I was reading about another balloon twister called Ralph Dewey, who's written 16 books on balloon twisting. Wow. And and along with 14 other books, great works of fiction, I am sure. And he's he's also the, uh, he's a member of the Fellowship of Christian Magicians, uh, for whom he is the five-time recipient of the best balloon lecture. (laughs) Huge. he so, does, and Anna, you're bearing the lead a bit here because I read a bit about him too, and he's a key figure in the gospel clown movement. <laughs> what is that? Well, it's it's what kind of that? as it is on the tin. Like it's a group of Christian clowns who believe in spreading the word of God, but through clown. <laughs> <laughs> do they um, do they turn a bucket full of confetti into wine? Or... <laughs> I think they just talk a lot about religion and they also do some clown stuff. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like Jesus when he put 27 people in that little car. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, and, and this is a huge division in balloon world oh, yeah. because there is a schism in balo- the balloon-iverse, if you will, <laughs> between, between gospel twisters who use balloons to teach Bible lessons and will sometimes do things like balloons of Jesus on the cross and adult twisters who do more raunchy balloons. Oh, and this, ah. There must be an in-between. I think there is it's a It's not mid- like if you get a balloon guy, it's either going to be a gospel guy <laughs> or a sexy yeah. guy. You're absolutely right. I think there is, there is a sort of small rump of people in the middle who are just sick of this balloon infighting. Right. But there are conventions obviously and at the conventions the conventions may not be big enough to only have one or the other so they meet at conventions like the Jets and the Sharks (laughs) the sexy balloon people and the gospel balloon people and it's uncomfortable, it's awkward there must be so many burst balloons when they get to the bit where they nail Jesus to the cross (laughs) (laughs) Um, did you read that the FBI were called by multiple pilots to investigate a man with a jetpack flying over LA. Oh, and I didn't yes. realise that whenever someone is seen with a, flying with a jetpack, the FBI have to investigate. Because as far as we know, no one can really fly with a jetpack except like a sort of a metre above the ground for about a centimetre and then yeah. they fall off. Technology hasn't quite got to better levels yet. But so it must be like the Russians, I guess. That's, that's the fear, or the aliens. And this was <laughs> flying at over 900 metres high. I think three separate pilots reported it in uh, sort of four separate months so it had obviously been up there for ages yeah. and I don't know what this person was eating but anyway the FBI had to investigate it and it turned out it was um, the character from Nightmare Before Christmas uh, from a Halloween which had been released Jack, it was a, Jack, Jack, a balloon yeah. version of Jack Skellington from oh, Nightmare Before oh. Christmas had sailed up into the sky and was investigated by the FBI Oh, it is, <laughs> it is amazing because you hear the LA pilots landing and they're like there's a jetpack man right next to me like it was really it was it was a real mystery for ages the fbi by the way do have to look into some pretty weird things this is going back to an earlier fact but um i saw on the fbi website a calling out saying fbi seeking bad breath bandit in northern california 
And it was just a guy who supposedly they thought must have bad breath because he kept going into, this is pre-pandemic, with face masks on. Uh, so Do you think they'll have like one of those identity parades where just people breathed in your face <laughs> and you're like, it's definitely that guy. That's Wait, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. Presumably they were seeking him for other crimes than having bad breath. Oh, yeah, no, he was robbing banks. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did they think he had bad breath if he was robbing banks and wearing a mask? Isn't that absolute Route 1 bank robbing? <laughs> like, what? That's such a good point, yes. It was like, it was like a, yeah, no, no, that's just a fucking great point. Um, I, don't, I don't know what to say for that. I'm not sure this FBI know what they're doing yeah. anymore. Um, we, we, weirdly, we need to wrap up soon. Uh, yes. Can we do some spots, some weird spots, oh, like yeah. the balloon thing? Yeah, go for yeah. it, yeah. So um, there's a company called AKQA, and they used artificial intelligence to come up with a new spot. Um, they came up with something called Speedgate. And this supposedly combines familiar elements of croquet, rugby, and soccer. Great. Sign me up. It sounds great. You've got like a goal in the middle and two goals on either side, and you have to go through the middle goal to get possession, and then you have to go round and knock it through the other goal. And if you've got a guy on the other side of the other goal, then they can knock it back through and you get more points. It's amazing. It's quite a good game. Um, In Oregon, the Oregon Sports Authority have now officially recognised it as a sport, and there's a few universities that actually play it. Um, But the other things that the AI came up with were not quite so good. Um, So they came up with underwater parkour... (laughs) Amazing. They came up with a game where um, two players were in a hot air balloon and on a tightrope, and they had to pass a ball back and forward to each other (laughs) like tennis. Uh, And they came up with an exploding frisbee game where you basically throw the frisbee to each other and every now and then it just blows up. Would watch. Yeah. Would no doubt watch. Um, that sounds like a great sport. Exactly. With Speedgate, which actually is quite a good sport, the yeah. um, AI created an official motto for it, and it was face the ball, to be the ball, and to be above the ball. <laughs> so good. It's got a way to go. I'd listen to that AI commentating, actually. Yeah. That sounds great. Have you guys heard of joggling? Juggling. Juggling. <laughs> is it jogging and juggling together? Yes. Oh. It's jogging and juggling together. You're, you're a joggler if you do it. And the championships are held every year at the International Jugglers Association Festival. And they're good. Yeah, really. There is a three-ball event, there's a five-ball event, and a seven-ball event over different lengths. And juggling five balls is unbelievably hard, let alone seven, let alone seven while running. But get this, the 100-metre three-ball record is 14 seconds. <laughs> Which is faster than I could run 100 metres, not juggling. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. I wonder how many times... Can you sort of be holding all three balls and just chuck one up in the air as you cross the finish line? Well, you've got to be continuously juggling. That's a great idea. You could get one and just chuck it 100 metres and then leg it to the other end. Um, I just have to quickly say that the top of this fact was about Shakira attending the World Championships of Keeping a Balloon in the Air, uh, the Balloon Championships, and I didn't say who won the championship. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that, this year, this inaugural year, it was won by Peru. So just so everyone knows, it was won by Peru. The only reason I didn't say it is because I've genuinely spent this entire time throughout this whole fact trying to work out what I'd actually written down because what I've got on my paper says, won by perv. And... <laughs> I thought I can't be right. Congratulations, Andy. Thank you. (laughs) Years of ball juggling practice to me in pretty good stead. 
<laughs> anyway, look, we need to wrap up. That is it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast at qio.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are up there. And I just want to quickly say thank you so much, St. Albans. That was so awesome. We absolutely loved it. Thank you for having us. We will be back one day. Rest of you, we'll be back again next week. We'll see you then. Goodbye! <laughs>